Welcome back to Media Voices, everybody. We take a look at all the news and the views in the media world, and there's a lot of news around Twitter this week. You might have guessed from the episode title that we're going to be talking about platforms. Now, that's as part of our series of deep dives looking in-depth at all the key media moments that have shaped the industry over the past 12 months, and we're bringing in a media expert for each episode. And this week, we're joined by Matt Navarra. So, Matt, why don't you give our listeners a brief explanation of who you are if they don't already know? Oh, sure. Well, I am a social media consultant and industry analyst. That's what I tell everyone anyway. It's a nice snappy <laughs> title. Um, I've been an independent kind of freelance social consultant for the last three or four years. Um, before that, I worked for a tech media um, company called The Next Web based in Amsterdam. I was responsible for their social um, as a news publisher and a big event company. And then prior to that, I've spent uh, a good number of years um, as a digital comms advisor for the British government. Uh, amongst many other chores of jobs. So yeah, that's that's kind of my snapshot backstory. But Esther, we are going to be talking about this in our Media Moments 2022 report, aren't we? We've got to distill this down to 800 words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this this chapter, this very snappy chapter, we'll, um, we'll be looking at platforms um, as part of our annual Media Moments 2022 report. That will be released on November the 30th. That's just a couple of weeks away now. Um, you can pre-register to receive that as soon as it goes live over at voices.media slash mm22. Uh, that season and the Media Moments 2022 to report would not be possible without the support of our sponsors pool pool with a triple o pools a membership and subscription suite used by leading publishers like future euro news l magazine france harvard business review and a bunch of others from around the world you can find out more about pool p-o-o-l at pool.tech and we'll link to them from our show notes as always and on voices.media and go to Voices.media to check out our latest Conversations episode in which I spoke to a team at Reuters all about their upcoming midterms coverage, the packages they're putting together for publishers, and basically everything to do with engendering trust and retaining trust with the public. Um, now that's, I suppose, going to be pertinent to this discussion as well today, because today we're talking about platforms and the role that they've had in publishers' strategies over the past year. And just so, just for everyone listening, we are going to talk about Twitter. We can't not talk about Twitter. We're always f***ing talking about <laughs> Twitter. So I'm going to edit in a uh, timestamp into the show notes, and I'm going to edit it in now, so, so you know, if you want to leap ahead to that part of the conversation, you can do that. So that is 28 minutes and 15 seconds into this episode if you want to jump ahead to the Musk chaos. As we said during the recording, everything could and, in fact, did change before the episode went out. It'll change again before the report goes out, but please do stick with this episode. We tried to provide as accurate a snapshot as we possibly could, even though ultimately that turned out to be a fool's errand. Okay, um, I'm, I'm going to put the slightly controversial opinion across now that I think what's happening with Twitter, um, people in the industry care more about than the general public. Um, Meta, I actually think, is a more interesting story this year. Um, Partly because I think the last the last decade, it's kind of felt a bit like Facebook or, or Meta, as it's now known, was invincible. It just kept growing and growing. You know, we had advertiser, advertiser boycotts. We had all sorts of things going. We had sort of we had Cambridge Analytics scandal. We've had so much news break around Facebook that should have brought it down, and it just continued to steadily grow. Its users grew, its revenue grew, and we were just kind of thinking, like, is this is this ever not going to grow? This year has shown that it is most definitely not too big to fail. Um, and it's been pretty much from, I mean, from February, um, it suffered the biggest one-day loss in history for a US company um, when its shares fell 26.4%, and it wiped about $230 billion off the stock. 
Um, and that, that tumble came because it reported its first ever drop in daily user numbers. That's not got any better. We've had um, July, they reported their first ever drop in revenue, which, which again, I, I didn't think would see come in this year. Is this an economic downturn or has Facebook actually just got as big as it's ever going to get? And it's it's kind of almost inevitably going to contract now. Well, um, I would say that it's um, just a perfect storm for, for Meta that's been brewing for some time. I think that the the company has um, rode its luck for, for, for many years in terms of its relationship with its users and with the patience of um, sort of twitchy investors, particularly this year. And, uh, and it's always had a tempestuous relationship with the media and with news publishers, particularly in, in, in that kind of whole debate. Um, I think that um, it is a factor that the, the the economy has kind of tanked um, around the world, um, especially for you know, the impact on big tech companies, because, you know, the re- sort of retreat of ad spend and being that, you know, Twitter, for example, has 89% of its revenue from, from advertising and, and Facebook's is, is a little bit less uh, dependent, but still pretty high. So I think that does play a, 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 an impact on it. Um, but also, you know, they've made this big drive towards the metaverse and, and um, switching the company name, you know, being the kind of pivotal moment for them doing it. But there is such a gap between now and when that will become a reality that makes it very hard for people to kind of feel confident in what that future might look like. But also conceptually it's very challenging for both investors and at the average user of facebook to and, and, and its products to understand what what will that even look like uh, and i think i was listening to benedict evans again recently um, who i highly recommend having a listen to and t was talking about you know people you ask people back in uh, the early 2000s about um, what would a mobile internet look like and and advent of 3g and, and how people will use it you know the ideas of what people would have you know completely different from what the actual reality of what it looked like was and 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 it's very similar now with this uh, kind of ar vr metaverse kind of world how, you know what is that going to look like and how are we actually going to use it so i think those are a, a big impacts um and i think um the the impact now in terms of the relationship with with apple um and other tech companies as well is is also converging on this and that makes it a, a challenging environment and that, that that's um something that apple has Got very done very well to kind of navigate and still come out looking like the the, um, the good guy. So um, there are other factors, but for me, there, you know, those immediately the things that come to mind in terms of you know where we are with with Meta. Yeah, I remember it was earlier in the year. Every big tech company just started re- reporting its results, and I was collating them all for the drum, and it just ended up being this litany of missed targets, uh, falling stock prices, apart from you know a couple of outliers, and it was all predicated on a slowing user growth and also be as you mentioned that kind of wider economic pressure but what do we think that drop in uh daily user numbers is based on because ultimately it seems to me that that's at the heart of everything that we're going to be talking about here in terms of meta it's because all the kids grandmothers are on facebook (laughs) Uh, well i was just going to say yeah you know the 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 user growth um, as an individual platform like the blue app as they call it the the main app is has been uh, on a plateau and sort of tipping over into decline for the last couple of years now. And Instagram equally is kind of starting to tip towards that as well. And all of the documents that came out of the um, uh, whistleblower leak in the last year also showed their internal research suggests that that is what's happening and that, that you know, it, you know what we already know, Facebook um, isn't cool and Instagram is kind of cool, but TikTok's 
even cooler. Um, and uh, so they now are playing this big game of kind of, I think, milking and squeezing every last drop of um, revenue and opportunity out of those platforms to carry them forwards into the metaverse, which is a, a long time to squeeze a product for. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that, um, the, that there is also the other factor here that we haven't talked about or mentioned is the fact that um, TikTok um, was very smart and very clever with the fact that its its algorithm is not like what Facebook has built its whole IP around, which is the social graph. You know, it's now realized um, TikTok is you know grown for lots of reasons it's been very successful but aside from the fact that it spent billions and continues to spend billions to acquire users but mm. it, its algorithm is based on a um, securing uh, content and finding content from a full source of people rather than just your friendships and connections you've opted into to see and so that's a, a shift that's going to take um, some time for for meta which um to to, to make and it is sort of attempting that and it's upsetting some of its Instagram users because of it, but it, it will yeah. get there and it will, but it will be expensive and time consuming. And that's, that's really hampered it. But I think in general that, that the whole of the meta kind of suite of apps, including WhatsApp, we'll still see some uh, sort of minor growth for the next couple of years uh, and, or at best maybe plateauing probably. And then, then we'll probably see it sort of go down the other side of the slope. That, that seems to be the way we're, we're headed. This this actually makes like I completely agree with you, Matt. And I think um, what you're saying about it, it, it kind of feels like this has very much been the end of the social network. Platforms are now so so focused on algorithmic recommendations, and it's no longer about joining a platform and connecting with your friends. It's it's about sort of finding I don't know random crap from all corners of the internet. And it, it, I get that there's yeah you know, there's platforms for that, and that's great. If the teens want to sit on TikTok and get all their algorithmic stuff, that's great. But it it really really saddens me that Facebook has made such an attempt to move away from that, and and they've had a backlash from that uh, from a lot of people this year about it. In that, you know, when we originally joined those platforms, we joined them to be connected to our friends, and that they've become increasingly hostile places to socialize with friends. Mm. So it 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 kind of I wish that they'd leaned more into, do you know what? We've got we've got the mums, the dads, the grandmas, who, <laughs> by the way, have all the money, all the all the economic wealth locked up, according to all the studies. Let's lean into that. Let's, you know, we can we can sell that to the advertisers. Instagram's a place where all the kind of, you know, picture influencers are. Let's lean into that for those advertisers. And just leave chasing the under 18s to everybody else because the, that's not where the revenue and the, and the value is. Well, the, I think the problem with Meta is that they, they've got a very poor track record in recent years of being innovative, truly innovative in social media platform space, but also it's got a very bad track record of creating um, anything original that's successful. Um, because if you look at the, the the sort of history of littered apps that it's kind of thrown out and tried to see if it sticks in the last few years that are being geared towards that younger demographic, they've all pretty much kind of failed very quickly. And the only success that it has had has been with, with with the you know control c control v copy paste <laughs> kind of behavior of, of of social but you know and i think meta get badly kind of attacked for that because but they're all as bad as one another in terms exactly. of it they've all kind of copied and stuff but i think to your point about the um sort of 
the, the shift in, in social media as, as a concept, as a, as a way of using the internet and, and engaging and connecting. It, yeah, it has changed and it is changing still. I mean, when I'm old enough now to know that what it was like to have a phone line plugged in and get an internet connection for a few hours <laughs> and then having to get off because my sister was saying she needed to get on the phone to speak to her boyfriend, you know? So now to be on the other side where it kind of fully advanced social media 24-7, it's, um, I've seen it all. We all had this big explosion of, wow, we can share anything we want with anyone we want publicly and people can talk about it and we can connect with these people and this is amazing like which is how i felt when i first started using the internet in 1997 98 and then as the 10-15 years have gone by now we've kind of had these moments where each each kind of year that's gone by up until now it's been like actually maybe putting everybody around the world into the same space and thinking they're going to be really friendly and nice to one another when we know that the internet isn't a friendly and nice place a lot of the time feed which was for everybody to kind of do everything on over the last 10 years has now become the space where it's for sharing news sharing big things that are kind of not really consequential low risk and not really related to you as a person but that's your feed and then your private messaging your groups your communities which is where all of the product development's going now with all of these apps and tools and services is where you have these kind of more deep, meaningful, opinionated perspectives, which are private or ephemeral, and all of the products and features to do with platforms that have been most popular or successful yeah. have been to do with that disappearing messages, ephemerality, private spaces, and that, that's where we are. And I think we, we've, we're all dancing around it, but we all know that Meta's biggest problem from the past year is that they pissed off the Kardashians. Of course. Well, you, you never want to do that. That was the beginning of the end for Meta. As soon as you lost Courtney Kardashian, that was always going to be it. That's that's um, my media moment. So. <laughs> <laughs> but as part of this, we've seen as well that, that Meta has been scaling back some of its products for publishers as a result of everything that Matt was talking about there. But also just because it felt like it was almost going to be more trouble than it was worth to have publishers on side. So, Peter, what have they shuttered this year or what have they announced that they're shuttering? Uh, newsletters is gone. Is it called? Bundle? Bulletin. Bundles? Bulletins? Bulletin, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's gone. Um, and it's scaling right back on news partnerships. Uh, there's some deals still in place, but they'll just run them down. Um, did, there was an estimate saying that the humans had been removed from the news tab. And Again, yeah. The problem was yeah. she couldn't find the news tab. Uh, yeah. this, is, this is not a one and done thing. The, the kind of the reinsertion of the human into the curation across social has gone back and forth for years and years and years. They're just pulling back. I mean, they've, they've uh, ditched instant articles, which I don't think anyone was particularly broken hearted about. Didn't see anybody it at all. So yeah, they just they've kind of proved <laughs> that they don't care. That which we they've just proved what we knew already. They don't care. I don't think they've really ever genuinely cared for or wanted no. to be involved in the news business Definitely it's not. a just a byproduct of the way that they you know their product is and what people need to do on it or tend to do on it mm. in terms of you know they've said repeatedly that from a revenue point of view or from a you know the percentage of content that's shared as links in, in newsfeed and, and any of its products you know it's a very small percentage and, I, and I, I think some people have always been suspicious or some people have anyway about whether they're just playing it down in some sort of negotiary kind of way mm -hmm. because they don't want people to see that they need it but i don't think they do need it and they and they and, and the fact that they have constantly chopped and change i think the reason they've done chopped and change is because they have had to kind of appease regulators they've had to um deal with you know the new newspaper industry the public 
publishing industry kind of battling to kind of save their their kind of businesses because they haven't been able to manage effectively you know change in in their own industry and they've been become very reliant or they were for a while very reliant on these platforms as a mm. as a source of traffic and and uh, and a way of reaching um, different audiences but but now yeah you're, you're right you know in the last couple of weeks there's been they, they, the the news tab which is a fairly recent addition to to Facebook is a separate tab in that way is now going to be going back to an AI kind of a, a sort of uh, decided kind of content in there no human real interaction in there from from someone in Facebook which was outsourced anyway to another company um, I think if we hadn't seen the downturn in such such a big downturn we, as we have uh, and such a desire for investment in Meta's metaverse plans then I think this would have happened eventually but it would have happened at a slower pace because um, a lot of it seemed very experimental anyway newsletters was very experimental for mm. them and audio was experimental for all of the social platforms um, and so we've just seen an acceleration of that to to cut costs but but yeah it was I, I remember having a very tense relationship when I was in a news publisher with Meta for, for, for a good five years you, you surprised me with that <laughs> yeah what's interesting i think is that for the longest time the left hand didn't seem to know what the right hand was doing in terms of matter so it had people no. who i genuinely felt were doing their best to cater for publishers but then it just butted up against this wider business operation and it just never seemed to work i, I wonder going back to what esther said about the social aspect i wonder how much of that's a tension between its roots as a social network and the reality of it as a content distribution network, many news publishers in in like in the last decade, you know, Facebook and its other products have been you know fairly big, hefty part of their uh, their way of finding new new audiences and reaching audiences. But that's kind of dwindled over time uh, as they changed their algorithm and as they've kind of uh, had sort of up and down kind of relations with with different um, governments around the world in terms of like uh, links and news coverage and news content. Um, but you know, recently we've seen a similar kind of back and forth of, of, or similar dependency and worrying kind of relationship in terms of small businesses. You know, we went through this period with the pandemic where uh, all these small businesses became very in need of support and help from these platforms to be able to kind of survive in, in a world where it's all online. Um, and that that dependency, I was watching it sort of play out thinking this is just, you know, again, companies should really be very careful to be reliant on these platforms as a small business um, beyond what you need to. Um, and, you know, we, we, can just, we can see with that combined with the creator economy growth, which is another huge buzzword of the last two years, really, um, that, you know, if a platform like an Instagram goes down, which it did in, uh, in the last week, um, it um, isn't just a, a bit annoying and somewhere where we just all head to Twitter and talk about the fact that Instagram's gone down. Um, it's also, you know, people can't do branded content deals. They can't um, uh, do their live videos, which is for, you know, their, uh, their, their sole income for some people who are really focused on one, one specific platform as a creator. So, yeah. Yeah, again, the, the, the dependency of these platforms platforms is is quite is still quite uh, problematic um, and that, uh, I don't think that's going to change in the short term but I think as as we move through this evolution of social it will become less of, uh, of an importance for people I, I am really going to miss that actually about Twitter is going there to complain that other networks are down uh, but Esther before we get onto this uh, we, we do want to acknowledge that we're going to be talking around the metaverse web 3 in general in an upcoming episode it's just the sheer scale of it. I mean in some ways, we could be talking about this in five years as what like wasn't this amazing foresight to sink all this money in then to uh, well ahead when this when this all sort of exploded. No chance. I, I hope it's not because I I don't want to be spending my days in a VR headset. But uh, so 
literally a week or two ago, um, Meta, they released their latest earnings report um, and their shares tumbled 24% to their lowest level in nearly four years following what was called a train wreck earnings report. Um, They revealed that the first nine months of this year, they'd lost $9.4 billion on their Metaverse unit, Reality Labs. Um, And they they were basically like, yeah, we're going to expect this to continue like significantly wider operating losses next year. Um, They've kind of not really got a path out of that. They're just hoping that they're going to be the first to build this kind of virtual future but a lot of the stuff that's been demoed it's been really panned because it's i mean chris yeah. you're, you're way more into this kind of virtual <laughs> vr because world than it's I, crap <laughs> a lot of it's it. been panned as like it's like this is really amateurish compared to it some of the really companies that have been yeah. in this space for like five six seven years some of it is, is absolute pants and what? i mean the real the real the well except it's not because like, we don't have legs well exactly well, i just want to say well the added legs that was the big Revelation, no, Peter. It? No, they didn't. Oh, was that, that just was, a fake? That was faked. They mocapped oh somebody and then God. they added that in, which is ridiculous. But this is why I don't pay attention to this crap. <laughs> but here's the thing: I used my Oculus earlier today, and during the pandemic, I have been experimenting with it. You know, using it the pass through for as a sort of virtual work environment. It's not there yet, and Meta's, I think, mistake is focusing on it from a business perspective. What they should have done is spend a few more years building up the entertainment side of it, making it a viable entertainment product. And then sort of brought in some of these commercial activities as well, because as a as a piece of like tech is a totally unbelievable piece of kit. It is fantastic. It's not perfect, but it is the source of some of the best entertainment that I've had in years and years and years. The problem is they've tried to yoke it to what was previously Facebook's bread and butter, which was advertising, which was a lot of commercial models that simply don't suit it yet. And so we've seen some absolutely shite brand extensions into what people think of the metaverse. <laughs> I think they have very little choice but to focus on enterprise because the um, the people that are going to be able to afford um, to spend some budget on it are going to be enterprises mm-hmm. and they will be able to help um, them figure out what works and what doesn't work whilst they sort of go through this sort of um, phase, but also um, sort of help fund it a little bit. But I don't think it's even about that. You know, they're not making going to make huge amounts of money from any of this stuff. So I think the enterprise is, is is a way is a is a route to kind of um, uh, to a bigger goal. I think that the um, I think whatever it is we're seeing in metaverse or people when they talk about metaverse now, and for most people they assume that means VR and AR, which will be a big component part of it, I, I suspect. But again, it, 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 what we imagine it will be like and how it will actually turn out, I think will be very different. I think we will laugh about our concepts of what we thought the metaverse would be. But we should rattle through TikTok, actually, at this point, because we've mentioned it before. It is the fastest growing social network. It is expected to reach 1.8 billion users by the end of this year. Um, It's also been singled out as one of the biggest sources for mis- and disinformation. And Esther, I believe you actually brought this up on the last episode we spoke about, Trust? Yeah, yeah, about younger people being quite... um quite vulnerable to that misinformation i mean the, the u.s midterms have like just happened so we'll see what what impact because no doubt there'll be studies on it but yeah i, I still maintain that so that's a ticking time on but in TikTok. terms of a platform it's <laughs> but in terms of a platform itself we've obviously seen meta launch a smear campaign against it which was totally bizarre um and it is from a publisher and from an advertiser perspective the place to be because they are launching new advertising products all the time self-serve stuff um, the ability to talk to people authentic is their big word. But for the most part, it seems to be watch this space. We need to know what it's going to look like next year before we can start planning for sort of what publishers can do. How many publishers do we see on there? I know people have put some uh, lists together already. 
There, there, there are a large number now. If you look to the beginning of the year and compare it to now, that that, that number has you know fairly rapidly um, escalated. And, and the, there are a couple of lists I shared um, shared one recently. It's very good um, and worth looking at. But um, yeah, I think that you know news publishers um, that are leaning into you know individual characters and presenters and personalities um, and uh, realize that people want to be entertained as much as they want to be informed and they're scrolling through content that mostly on TikTok is not news. It's about kind of people doing different challenges and funny things that have gone viral and, and all sorts of other clips. And just to sort of jump from that to a serious news piece is, you know, is doesn't often work. So I think that that's where the skill is and the publishers that are doing particularly well, like Washington Post is very good at doing it. Um, BBC has been late to it, but it, the quality is very good there from them. Um, and uh, I think it tends to be some of the younger orientated news publishers uh, in terms of that. And the, the ones that are familiar with that sort of audience are unsurprisingly very effective on, on TikTok. Is that not a bit terrifying? Like I just, it- I know we're talking about a bit about this last week of this sort of conflation of news and entertainment, but and, and it, it's it ends up being a catch twenty two. If, if publishers don't join TikTok, you're left with all the TikTok influencers who, when things like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial um, went on, they suddenly realised if they all commented on that and all gave their opinion on that, you know, their views sort of quadrupled. But then you've got to, just got the thing that, uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I feel like TikTok's just because it's not quite as polished. Which, in a way, is I suppose is 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 good for the users. But people people go there not expecting the ten o'clock news clip. They're not there seeking out the news when the news then comes to them. Like it's it's such a different proposition. I, I just think it's really scary that that people are like people are consuming news like that. I think that, that people are, are, are far more likely and more interested in the in the individual reporters and journalists on TikTok than they are the actual news brands account that, you know, they will follow that account as a kind of almost as a given. But it, it, I think it's far more important and interesting to them to follow the people who are making the news and creating the news. And I think that the, um, the, the other shift that we've noticed, which is quite heavily sort of skews on, uh, on TikTok, is that um, people get news not really now not just from news journalists and, and that's that's also a risk in the sense that there's influencers and creators and people that are you know not trying to pretend that they are journalists or whatever but also feeding the news and creating the news and and that's partly stems from this explosion in in, in creators and being able to make an audience create and find their audience and create a living out of it but also that there's a huge level of distrust and skepticism in in younger generations with um, mainstream news broadcasters and um, sort of traditional methods and, and sources of, of news and so the uh, interest in people that are not from the BBC or Sky News or whatever is um, doesn't surprise me and the people that are more edgy and more just like you're watching one of the creators or influencers that you love on TikTok, that style of delivery and that way of in- engaging with your audience is very effective. And that if you look at the journalists and reporters that are successful on TikTok, they kind of fit that, you know, they fit into that very, very well. That you, the, the line defining them as a journalist versus a creator or an influencer is very, very fuzzy. It's not why it's important though exactly that people like uh, the Washington Post or BBC or Sky, whoever it is, actually gets on the platform and provides a different voice. 
It's, it's difficult for um, publishers because, you know, they're not going to stop the march of this shift towards um, news influences. And people like, you know, I speak about people like Taylor Lorenz uh, is a good example. You know, previously New York Times, pre- um, now Washington Post, built up a, a really good um, following an audience who are fascinated with her really interesting, engaging, you know, culturally relevant pieces of, of, uh, of uh, news and content. And they are not so fussed about whether um, Taylor is New York Times or Washington Post. That's, you know, kind of like a a, a, a good springboard into sort of, you know, authority for, um, for Taylor. But actually, well, B-reels coming around that circle. personality and <laughs> her delivery style and the way that she, you know, builds a, a kind of a following around her. And for news publishers, that's very threatening and, and, very, and, and understandably so, because, you know, where, who owns that audience and where will that audience go when one person who's a, built up a significant following goes elsewhere um so it's um, it is a challenge but i think that, that that's why these different models of news publishers that are coming up like um, semaphore is a good example um recently and others where there's this kind of relationship between kind of like the audience the interest in the brand is as much about the individual news personalities than it is about the the the, the news organizations organization that sits behind it but of course these reporters and journalists up until now have relied upon these um, big brands to carry them, give them a career and also supply the news gathering tech to do their jobs. But that's changing, you know, the ability to film and, and record stuff, the ability to edit stuff, the ability to get stuff from news wires and to do research and all the things that you would normally need the kind of investment from a, a news publisher. You, you can set yourself up if you're a seasoned you know, veteran in, in the news um, gathering business and have, have a bit of personality and, and do a lot of it yourself. So, so yeah, there's more power and more more um, control over that, that relationship with with creators and with journalists than there's ever been, and I think that's frightening for for many publishers. Yeah, one hundred percent. Now, listen, I'm very proud of us that we haven't yet spoken about Twitter. I feel like we've we've done incredibly well to have lasted this long without talking about the absolute mania that has been. The, the, the period since February on Twitter. Very early on in the year, Elon Musk started making overtures that he was going to buy Twitter. He went through a period of, uh, me, like I said, me, manic behavior. That's very unusual for the man. And went back and forth with Twitter. There were talks of lawsuits. In fact, I believe there was a lawsuit at one point to force him to go through with this purchase at a price that he had mooted in the first place. And ultimately, as as of the time of this recording, he's been in position as chief twit for coming up on two weeks now, and everything has been absolutely crazy ever since. Where do we think we are at the moment? And I don't know which one of you wants to take that, because I certainly don't. <laughs> uh, media voices got out of the of Twitter shares uh, positively. Wow. <laughs> so we, we ended up with about a $70 profit. Oof. So that little experiment eventually worked in our favor actually we should probably mention this though we don't know at, at the time of going at the time of recording things will have changed by the time that we actually put this episode live and things will have changed by the time we put the report out so what matt <laughs> from your perspective then if you could provide a little bit of structure <laughs> i've got about as much insight and clarity around the, the mind of elon musk and, and his yeah. his aspirations for twitter than anyone else has got you know he's a, he's a law to himself um i think that you know i've done in the last few weeks probably a dozen interviews and i kind of had this, the same sort of stance on it really that you know twitter is now the Elon Musk show and he is mm. the main character and will continue to be so. And whilst it keeps his attention and interest and while it's fun and uh, it's providing him with 
whatever form of kind of um, uh, entertainment or inner, inner satisfaction, it, it, this this um, sort of craziness will continue. I think the craziness won't stop until um, the, uh, the business goes under um, or uh, he loses it loses interest in it and, and or, or decides to kind of like I've done it now I'm going to stick someone else in charge who yeah. can figure out the mess I've left behind um, I think that he he doesn't have a scooby-doo as to how to run a social network uh, you know he his his, his business success um, is clearly from engineering technical uh, types of businesses and his own ability to relate to other people and understand the psychology of other people and engage with people in in, the, in a way that's kind of not kind of a bit odd or quirky is limited and so to put someone like that with a lot of money and uh, and also has a lot of fun playing on Twitter. I think you know it's got a recipe for disaster. I think that in terms of the the product at the moment, um, it, I think we're only at the very start of of um, the the journey of of, the, of Twitter becoming a, a very wild place. And Twitter was already extremely wild. And it's you know someone wrote recently, I think, um, saying how Twitter is a platform that people hate to use and they hate everybody on it. You know, um, <laughs> that's basically everybody hates everything, and it's just a place to tell everybody about that hate. Um, um, but but, but for, for news publishers, you know, going circling back to you know, it's it's quite a, and, and journalists, it's a, a significant moment because um, it has famously been the the go to kind of platform for breaking news, for finding out what's going on in the world, for um, for journalists to reach out to sources for information, and for news platforms to distribute their content um, and and build audiences around. And so for them, this is this is not fun at all um and for advertisers i think it's the opposite of that i think it, they don't give it give a shit because you know <laughs> um, it, it it and as you mentioned at the top of the, um, this podcast you know it, it their spend on twitter is a rounding error for most of them and they do not um have it would not take them very much effort um, um to go do you know what let's just put that five percent seven percent three percent of our total ad spend budget away from twitter and put it just add it onto the tiktok experimental budget you know that it's not going to make any difference to them so he is in a very weak position to be negotiating with them and the idea that he this week i think he was saying that he's going to name and shame the um the advertisers who don't support free speech by supporting the platform or whatever junk he was spouting yeah you know and the list goes on but but hey i uh, my account's taking an uptick because i'm just talking about all this all the time so i'm i'm winning in the short term but it's only days till he bans my account he's already blocked it but he hasn't banned me yet so we'll see what happens Do do you know what this reminds me a bit of it's it's almost the same as when Donald Trump came into power. You've got this this um, put in air quotes success. You've got this very successful businessman who comes and runs something that he actually doesn't really have any experience or idea knowing how to run, and it's just <laughs> chaos. Like every single day is a new form of like mm. utterly indescribable chaos. Like the fact that he fired thousands of people on Friday, and then before the weekend was up, he was getting managers to phone people to ask them to come back because. He like the site couldn't run and he couldn't build half the stuff he wanted to build for it. And the fact he's like polling people about what features he wants to build, and he was going back and being like, Oh, so if you won't pay $20 for verification, would you pay $8? Like, this isn't a marketplace to haggle in. Yeah, Stephen King, Stephen King does all the big favor there, but which is not a sentence I thought I'd ever say. But his thing is moving so fast 
the, the thing is, that Trump analogy is very, very apt because that chaos has actually put a lot of advertisers off. Matt mentioned 89% of Twitter's revenue comes from advertising. We've seen General Motors pause advertising. We've seen Mondelez pause advertising. We saw reports that Nintendo, a bunch of other big spenders on Twitter were pausing advertising. And it's all due to that cult of personality and the chaos that has ensued as a result. But what we should probably talk about here is what this means for publishers, particularly around verification, particularly about what it means for disinformation in the run-up to the US midterms, which is seen as a proof point. Do we think that Elon Musk has a Scoobies about what impact <laughs> this is all going to have on dis and misinformation, and as a result of that, what it's going to have on Twitter's bottom line? I, I think it, the not. obvious answer you might think is is that he hasn't got a clue, but I actually think he does have a clue. I think the thing is that he doesn't give a shit because yeah. why why does he need to give a shit? Because um, mm. the only thing that he should be worried about, you think, is to make sure that you know he doesn't um, have a problem with debt with the company and and he kind of recovers that to some degree, which you would arguably say, well, then he needs to give a shit a bit, um, and and to some degree he does. But but I think you know he's he's got people around him that are telling him all sorts of kind of things in his kind of, I think someone defined them as the brain trust, which is a great term, his, his team around him who are just telling him what to do and how to do it. But he, um, he's he got people like uh, in charge of head, head of safety who's been there for, for a long time, who's you know tweeting about um, you know what they're doing in, in this space with you know, misinformation and parody accounts and verification and stuff. So he's it's not like he's sitting there and it, it needs someone to shake him. Hey, did you, did you realize what you're doing? He knows, he knows that and he's he's making a, a conscious decision that what he's deciding to do is, is the best thing for the platform i don't think we'll ever fully understand why he views it that way against all of this kind of um, evidence and the, the examples of stuff that's gone on in the short term and uh, recently you know that stuff with his account you know as soon as he said about verification and paying for verification and people anyone being able to buy it i was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago and i was saying in, within hours, people are going to create Elon Musk accounts, or they're going to change their name to Elon Musk, and they're going to make themselves that. And then, and then he suddenly, um, obviously, found, figured that out. That's what's going to happen, and changed the rules. And like someone tweeted the other day, saying, "And this tweet's great. It was from yesterday. Everything happening on Twitter now is a lot easier to understand if you ever had a younger sibling that invented a game and added a new rule every time they started losing." Um, yeah. That and and another one was, uh, and, and every Elon post is like watching Joe Pesci enter the home. Alone own house um it's <laughs> it's uh, there's well my definition of it at the moment is that um that uh, twitter um and elon musk's twitter is the new fire festival basically and the yeah, tiktok uh, the twitter blue with the uh with the verification is the cheese sandwich that brings it down my favorite one of those was this is very easy to understand if you understand that we're looking at a midlife crisis but from the perspective of the sports car <laughs> yeah which i think is just the most apt analogy i've ever heard in my mind i've sort of like thinking about what's going on at the headquarters of Twitter. And I just view it as um, Michael Scott's paper company um, in, <laughs> in the American office and them kind of just figuring it out as they go along and uh, not knowing what to do next. But, but do you think it's possible that he just isn't that bright? Yeah, I mean, he's not, I think he, he's done in Kruger, isn't he? He's, he's very bright in some areas, but he's not bright enough to know that he is not suitable for this. I mean, we're basically seeing him recreating, verification in social media from the beginning. I would be surprised if we didn't actually end up with something similar to the system that they eventually settled on. I think he is a smart guy, but I think that he he, he doesn't understand humans very well, which mm. is a bit worrying when you're in a social network. <laughs> and I don't think that he 
gives a shit about enough things that he should give a shit about because um you know he he's not going to care that everyone around the world is is kicking off and going nuts and saying you're crazy he will be thriving and reveling in being the the star attraction on the platform and to go back to the point about being trump Trump-like, I think that reference and that kind of um, that observation has been made quite widely, particularly in the last few days, with the, the language in his tweets where he's talked yeah. about uh, kind of like uh, what everyone should be doing and how they're not, you know, seeing it the way he's seeing it and things. He comes across very much like Trump, and I and that's the other thing. I think we are still on a countdown to the the big arrival of of, of Trump, and I think that will happen, but I, I don't know when. It, it, but it's coming, and that can you imagine both of them on the platform at the same time? No, I don't want to imagine. Um, I suppose the question that you know we don't know the answer to is: Is the fact that he spent forty-four billion dollars on buying the platform going to force him to Take grow up a bit quicker? Yeah. <laughs> and if he's not the right person to actually figure out some of the naughtier issues, is he at that point going to have to put somebody else in charge? I mean, that could happen before the end of the year. Who knows? That could happen before the end of this recording. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't know where where we're going to end up with this one. This story of Twitter. I think um, it, it it's definitely uh, we're at the beginning rather than the middle or end of of the drama of the Twitter takeover. Um, and I think that the the Im- impact of the decisions that Elon has already made and will probably continue to make, um, they will. Some of them will take a, some time to kind of really uh, fester and then kind of uh, mutate and start to be dangerous and toxic yeah. to the platform. Um, but other other decisions we'll see very quickly. It will make a, a quite a significant change to the platform. And I think that the thing that's going to happen very quickly, as we've already seen, is advertisers will pull pull back. Um, uh, users will the kind of the, the the mood and the vibe and the and the kind of troll like activity. I think will increase as people test the boundaries. Um, and um, I think that people, I think we'll see a, a rise upwards of Twitter in terms of usage and engagement, which will be used as he already is as a, hey, look, what I'm doing is working. There's lots more people downloading Twitter and using it and engaging, but that will just be because it's the Trump effect. You know, it's the yeah. crazy person that's screaming loudest, who's doing crazy things. It's like watching a car crash. You kind of want to watch it, but you don't want to. I was just about to say, it's like watching a warehouse burned down sure there's a big audience there's a big crowd but you're not watching it for any like positive reasons i mean we talked about this before that twitter as a public utility is a really really positive idea so if it was paying to take it out of that not not elon musk particularly just out of private ownership i think there's something in that i definitely don't think verification is a point I think maybe the ability to go right back to what Matt said at the beginning, the ability to have closed groups like they've got with, what do they call it? The community stuff that they've got. I think we're looking at it through the wrong, the wrong, wrong direction. I think it's what would make, uh, what would Twitter have to pay me to stay using it? Because, uh, and that is, and that, that as much as that is, is funny at the same time, that's it's true, genuine. Yeah. You know, as a content creator, um, I have choices to go in any number of places to yeah. get a, a, an audience and to engage with people and to create content for. And, you know, they should be thinking, and I know that, that, that Elon Musk, in fairness to him, has mentioned that as being, seeing that as being a critical part of evolving Twitter and making it work. But yeah, I, I would, I, I've always wanted Twitter to find a way to, to make money for me because all the other platforms I have smaller uh, audiences on, I've made more money on than Twitter, which is the account uh, and the platform that I've got the biggest audience, which yeah. is you know completely the wrong way around. <laughs> uh, honestly, we 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 could have spoken about that 
alone for another four hours because we haven't even mentioned sort of repeated rise in hate speech and the pushback against those stats. We haven't mentioned the idea about what verification is going to, or that, that new system of verification is going to do for brands on there, news brands. We really haven't even scratched the surface. And like we said, it's going to probably have turned on its head by the time we finish this recording at least. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming on and having this chat all about platforms. If the listeners want to find you, <laughs> I don't know if you want to give your Twitter or if you want to give... <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I would say find me on, on Twitter as at Matt Navarro, but if you don't find that, then um, if you pretty much go on Google and search Matt Navarro or Matt Navarro, Navarro Geek Out, you will find that and my newsletter and it's all there. But thank you for having me. <laughs> you are very welcome. And thank you to Membership and Subscription Suite Pool for sponsoring this season of the Media Voices podcast and the upcoming Media Moments 2022. If you'd like to learn more about the topics like optimizing subscription conversion rates. They've got a bunch of helpful resources at blog.pool.tech. That is P-triple-O-L. And don't forget, you can free register to download the Media Moments 2022 report by going to voices.media forward slash MM22. But for now, thank you for sticking with us throughout the, the chaos. Please do continue to follow us on Twitter for now. But for now, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Bye. Bye.